There were a couple of headlines this week that caught my eyes that had to do with anger. You remember last week I said they're worried about mental health issues, and now this was a focus on anger. Anger is something that I pay attention to because anger is something that for a large part of my life I denied that I was dealing with because I was a Christian, I wasn't angry, I was frustrated. And as I thought about it in my 30s and early 40s, the anger came out of fears and fears came out of expectations. And I began to understand that most of the anger in my life was responsible for what are described as self-inflicted wounds. Things I would do to myself to sabotage myself. A lot of that came flooding back because when I looked at this and I heard Jesus ask Peter, do you love me? See, I think when we forget that our relationship with Christ, that our love grows out of our faith. And that it is a relationship of love. It's not one of performance. But it is one of love. And, and here's Peter. Peter had three times publicly denied him. While Jesus was in the other room, he publicly denied him in front of a servant of a, you know, in a fire trying to stay warm. And oh, I never knew him. I never, you know, trying to get hands off. But it's Jesus that reaches out with these questions to restore the relationship. Remember, it's Jesus who called Peter from his fishing business, from his family business. And now he comes to Peter. With all the others in the background, because when you have this fish breakfast that, um, you know, when they had finished breakfast, that's the transition line in, in the text. He raises these things publicly. And I can't imagine what the other disciples were thinking. Is he going to come to me? Is he going to ask me, where were you when I was going to the cross? Where were you when I was being tried? And I know for some of you, these are hard because you have felt at some point in your life deeply betrayed by someone or an institution or something, but you have felt that betrayal. And you wonder, could it ever be restored? So what we have here is what one commentator described as a threefold question followed by threefolds of answered, followed by threefolds commission. But it's basically, do you love me? Three times. And we see in the text how he's, he's frustrated that Jesus isn't, from his perspective, aren't you listening? Now, one of the things I know about sermons on this text is this where people break out their seminary degree and their language skills because they want to talk about the differences between the words that are used for love between agape in the first two and Peter's response of phileo 
in all three. And then Jesus uses phileo in the third one. And so you see in the story, in the account, and see, I think one of the things about this story that you don't, we don't get in the English language because we don't have the descriptions. And of course, there's a third word for love in the Greek language, eros. We don't get the contrast. And I think that's one of the things that makes this so authentic is that the differences between Jesus and Peter is shown, is explained, is recorded. Agape in the first two questions is what the Greeks would have considered the highest form of love. But Peter responds, and oh, do you see what he's doing here? He's using his birth name, not his adopted name. He addresses him as Peter. But what is Peter doing? He's giving a very honest, from the gut response when he uses phileo, which is a, 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 a love from the gut. It's kind of a messy, you know, hug and sloppery kiss kind of love is the way one commentator described it. Peter's saying, I love you from my guts. I love you, you know. And See, see, we live in a culture where we, and we think about how you ask this, where we, we've moved from an authority culture to a preference culture. You know, what do I prefer? What are my options? And Jesus says, do you love me? And the first time he says, more than these. And so the question is, what does the these mean? Now here again, we don't quite get it in the English, but the word that's for these in Greek is, in, is neutral. And that's why people think because of the setting, you're right in the middle of Peter's economic base, fishing nets, Fishing boats. Do you love me more than all of this, all of the acquired wealth of your family? He's not talking about the disciples because he would not have, he would have put it in the masculine instead of the neutral. And so he's asking him a fundamental economic question. Do you love me more than this stuff? And sometimes Jesus asks this question, do you love me more than stuff? To make sure that stuff is not what is making us comfortable with Christ. See, we live in a choice culture. And the clues are in the story. When I was in the 11th grade, 
I had one of my most formative English teachers. Now, it's a big tie between 11th grade and 12th grade because both of those women were awesome. One was in Connecticut and one was in California. The one in Connecticut in 11th grade told me about foreshadowing. You know, when you read something and it's supposed to say, oh, something's going to happen. When you look back, you can say something was supposed to happen. It's what Leo Tolstoy's gun is all about. He says, if you put a gun on a table in a story, you better use it. Think about all the clues that are in the Bible for this passage. If you love me. See, doesn't that take us all the way back to that first choice of Adam and Eve? Did God really say? The creator, the one who made you in his image, the one who's cared for you, given you all these things except for this one thing. It is a breakdown of the love and the faith and the obedience, all the words that are there. See, when he's asking Peter, and then as readers, and we ask that, because we are the descendants of Peter, do you love me? See, that should be a, a both a, a very holistic response. Roma, Jesus said, in the upper room, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Think about that. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You see, when Jesus uses, in the third situation, when he uses Peter's word for love, that gushy, come-from-the-gut kind of love. Peter's response is, you know my heart. He knows who Jesus is, and he says, you know my heart, you know this is in me. See, because that's, that's what sometimes is that. We know what's in us, even though our behavior has betrayed us. But think about this. Jesus uses his word, he uses his word, and then to seal the reconciliation, he uses the words of Peter. Do you see how much he loves us? Because he's willing to use our words. He's using to get that kind of love that, that just takes control of us in our hearts. And so we've looked at the three questions about, around love. And I think sometimes that that's a great question to get up the day and say to Jesus, I love you. To use that language of love in our prayers, in our relationship for him. Now, I know that both the language and the feelings and the experience of love changes in time. You 
And I think that's why Jesus recognizes this when he starts off with a response of feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Now, if you drive anywhere in this area, you see lambs. You know, we were driving along and all of a sudden we saw these two lambs sleeping on top of each other right on the final piece of grass before the road. They were, I mean, they hadn't learned to be afraid of cars, but they were taking a nap or something. Or we, you see them running or you see them in the hills, you know, you just see lambs. And so I think one of the things Jesus is doing is saying, take care of both the children and the new Christian. That's the question he says what he wants them to do first. Remember how he says, don't be a burden to children. It's better to get thrown into the sea than to follow up a child. Children are not to be throwaways. Now, one of the things that we can't overlook in all three responses or commissions See, because it's tend, it's feed, my, his ownership. You go along and you see the different colors on the back of sheep and lambs, and you see, you know, and you say, this is how we're trying to keep track of whose they are. But they're his. Now, going back to 11th grade and foreshadowing, Think about Jesus when he says that I'm the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That should be in our ears, our memories, as well as the memories of the disciples who were hearing him when he's using these sheep illustrations. The good shepherd lays down his life. What's the other thing that describe sheep? Describe us. My sheep hear my voice. They know the voice of the shepherd. They know the one who they belong to, the one who cares for them, is willing to lay down his life. And that's why in the upper room he can say to them, the way you're going to be known to be my sheep, my disciples, my people, is because you will love each other. See, we've been loved first. We have been loved by the shepherd And we need to love each other. We also need to recognize that he tells us that he is going to bring in sheep from another place. That it's not just Jerusalem, it's beyond. It's the nations that he's bringing in, the covenant promises. You know, I think one of the reasons why, and we we sang it, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. You can almost not find another universal, international image of someone who cares for something that's weak. You know, I've been to 42 different countries, and I was thinking back and I was saying, okay, went to Africa and there were a bunch of shepherds. I was in Afghanistan, there were shepherds, mostly goat herders, but shepherds. You know, uh, Iraq, you see a lot of shepherds. Um, 
Ecuador, other places, you've got shepherds. See, in the book of John, the lamb becomes the shepherd. When cousin John the Baptist points Jesus out publicly, who does he say he is? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus says, the good shepherd lays down his life. My sheep hear my voice. That's why he says, feed my sheep. That one, we need to have people who can feed us. Two, we need to be willing to be fed as his sheep. One of the things about seeing these lambs is that sometimes it's almost comical to see the positions these lambs get into to nurse, to be fed by their mamas. Some of them are down on their knees, some of them are laying down, you know, I mean, it's just, they're motivated. They're not embarrassed. But the lamb becomes the shepherd. Think about that in John's gospel. Now, as we come up to this last part where he's going to say, follow me. He tells something, Peter, very profound, both for himself and for us. You see, we're supposed to follow him because the sheep follow the shepherd. But before he says, follow me, he tells him what kind of a death he is going to have that will give glory to God. Have you ever thought about, okay, how is my death going to give glory to God? I know I'm going to die. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to do a wedding. And I'm going to say, until death do you part. We bring that into our wedding ceremonies. Because it's part of life. Peter is going to have a death that he would not choose but a death that would glorify God. And he says, follow me. Remember, he had already followed his father through the cross, through the grave, into the resurrection. And so we can give glory to God. When people die... You know, it's something that usually is far removed from most people. But as a military chaplain, that was part of what I was trained to do, and that's what I did more than I would have liked to have done, but you always are there for people. <clears throat> to know how to talk to them about that, to know how to be with people as they are getting ready to die. So Jesus says, follow me. He doesn't talk about a rosy pasture. You know, you think about what we say in Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You see, that's part of following Christ is being willing to go to the dark places with people. Being willing to give God the glory in those dark places. 
You see, when we put down the question of who do you follow, because, see, if we live in a world that's full of choices and preferences, we need to ask ourselves, am I willing to follow Christ, follow his words, let him be my shepherd, to hear the voice of my shepherd when he says, follow me, and not say, oh, I think I'll go a, a, a different way. I think that's one of the things that amazes me about all the sheep scenes that I see here is that occasionally you'll see a shepherd. Now, we saw a shepherd um, working with his sheep and lambs yesterday doing some things, and then we saw him drive off and leave the sheep. They're going to be okay, but that idea of that they hear the voice of the shepherd that loves you and that we should love. When we don't love, when we deny, when we betray Jesus Christ in our lives, we can come back because we know his mercy is sure. All the things that we have sung and said so far. We need to each day ask, am I following Jesus Christ? Am I following my shepherd? Not just my preferences. See, one of the things that's happened in our culture is people will publicly claim Jesus Christ, they will publicly claim Christianity, but they're not listening to the voice of the shepherd. They're listening to the prophets of their own culture. We're back into Daniel 9 where they won't listen to the word of God. But Jesus says, and I think this is one of those things that is so simple and so profound at the same time. You know, we looked at, in Luke, we are to be witnesses. And now here in John, as John gets ready to wrap up his gospel, Jesus says to all of us, follow me. Let me pray. Father, we do thank you that you forgive us, that you have given us Christ to follow, that you've given us the Holy Spirit to enable us to follow Christ, not to get lost. We pray, Father, that when we deny, when we disobey, when we don't listen, that your Spirit would grab a hold of us and bring us back and so we can confess our sins, knowing that you're faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, Father, help us not only to be witnesses, but also to be followers. To be someone who, in their own heart, loves with that messy kind of love that just grabs hold of somebody and says, I want to follow you, I want to love you, as we follow Jesus. And Father, we pray that we would tend and feed each other, that we would look at this and see that as sheep in the illustration, we are never alone, we are always a part of the flock. 
even though we may wander off a little bit from the flock, we're part of the flock. We're identified with the flock of Christ. Oh, Father, keep that image before us, we pray. We pray this, Jesus, now in your most holy name. Amen.